everything in business is a gamble. People generally buy people. It's genius! We want an education What you're thinking, can you get the buy-in? You're listening to Forest FM, a salon business show with hosts Zoe Below Springer and Killian Vigna. For your industry, by your industry. Today, we're excited to announce a significant appointment to our leadership team with the addition of Davina's CEO of 17 years, Paolo Bergusi, to our board of directors. After an extremely difficult year for salons and spas, with lockdowns and social distancing putting a huge strain on the industry, the new appointment is a testament to the forest commitment to helping the professional hair and beauty industry to grow stronger than ever. In the industry, sharing knowledge is uh, crucial and uh, something like a TED for the industry would be uh, great. This is an industry where you have the the chance to spend time with a lot of very generous people, hard workers willing to learn. And part of this generosity is uh, being open to to spend time with you. You know, I learned about this industry spending dinners and nights talking about problems and solutions. Uh, uh, I think that the mission of all the players in the industry is to make sure that clients, uh, at the end of their visit in the salon, uh, they, they, they think, what they think is, I want to go back as soon as possible. So they get out and what they should think is, I can't wait, I want to go back. Paolo Berguzzi brings his expertise in leadership from one of the top performing and significant players on the global beauty scene. During his term as CEO, he was responsible for the growth of Davines and Comfort Zone brands and oversaw the company's transition into a benefit corporation with a turnover of 163 million euros. Paolo, thank you so much for joining us on Forest FM. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Welcome, yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. So um, I guess before we jump into the the depth of today's topic, um, looking at the industry a couple of years back, maybe even a few decades back, uh, what it's like right now and maybe thoughts for the future. I guess, um, what's one thing that you would have picked up um, in the last year? Obviously, a lot of things have changed with the pandemic. Um, I feel like a lot of people have picked up new hobbies, even just, you know, interests. Is there something like that that's happened for you in the past 12 months? Well, yes, of course. (laughs) And this has to to do um, a little bit with... uh, my job and a little bit with my personal life uh, and uh, the key concept uh, I got uh, is that of uh, trust and the importance of trust. Mm. Uh, I think that from, from the business point of view, uh, this uh, crisis has been uh, much more uh, bearable by those companies or those individuals who built uh, trust mm-hmm. uh, with their customers, with their colleagues. Mm. Then at the same time, this has been a period of time in which uh, uh, friends uh, uh, have become more important than ever. And friendship uh, is based on trust again. Uh, I am saying very often in these days that, uh, you know, trust is the, the currency. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that we have to, uh, to create and to cultivate and, and never, let's say, uh, and in a relentless way. Couldn't agree more with everyone being so distant and almost being told to kind of stay apart from each other. It's it's almost kind of increased that desire for that relationship, the friendships and that human connection almost. Yeah. 
So Paolo, then can you kind of take us over the span of your career? So what has your journey right up until now looked like in your in your professional career? You know, Zoe was right uh, saying that we'll talk about decades. <laughs> I started my career yeah, more than three decades ago in the men's clothing industry, uh, just for a very short uh, while. And then uh, many years ago, because I'm a wise uh, <laughs> man, my background is in marketing. Mm-hmm. Have, uh, uh, you know, this is what I studied uh, at the university. It was my idea was to do marketing. And uh, so as soon as I found the opportunity to work uh, for a multinational company, uh, I did it. And this company was well. Um, I started in the consumer division uh, and it was a great opportunity to learn about marketing Um, and this happened in 1988 so a while ago (laughs) and then I spent a few years in uh, in the consumer division and uh, in 1993 I moved to the salon division and this was my epiphany because I understood very quickly that it was my place uh, I started immediately to connect uh, with a lot of uh, hairdressers in Italy, which is my country. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and you know, since then, I understood that uh, this could have been my, uh, my, my place forever, which is what happened, by the way. <laughs> so it was not that, that wrong. Um, uh, I had the chance uh, quite early to take the responsibility of the um, branch of Wella in Italy, mm-hmm. uh, which happened in 1995 when I was 33. Uh, despite uh, you know well it was a German company it, uh, yeah it was a German company because now it's uh, uh, it has been purchased a few times um, and uh, I did not speak German at that time uh, I was very young still uh, my uh, predecessor in Italy um, uh, was brave enough to appoint me uh, as his successor in taking the role of managing director of the branch. And uh, and then uh, you know since then I spent uh, another almost another decade in Well. Uh, after Well, I had a very short experience in the underwear industry. Uh, I tried to work with a friend there, but friendship was good outside of work and not at work. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that can happen. <laughs> no, it, it can happen. Yes. And then, uh, you know, I've uh, been, uh, uh, I was in touch with Davide Bollati, uh, the, the, the owner of Avians. Uh, he, uh, he contacted me, uh, you know, at the first conversation I told him, no, I don't want to, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm try to go back to the industry uh, because of the, uh, even of the affection I had for Wella. Yeah. But then at that time, Wella was sold and the environment was changing a, a lot. And Davines uh, had, um, I, I could see in Davines uh, um, a very interesting DNA. The, the, the character of the, of the, the, the owner was the, the son of the founders. It was very much driven by the, the passion for beauty, by the idea to create something that did not exist yet mm. in those times, uh, with, the, with the pioneering spirit. And I found this very attractive. Uh, so I joined him uh, as the CEO of the company. And since then, I spent uh, 17 years, uh, 17 years there. Uh, and I left my role of CEO last Friday. So it's uh, just a few days Still ago. Still so fresh. How does it feel? Very fresh. I, I don't know yet. <laughs> 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 you know, the, my, my main feeling in the last weeks has been that of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, my life routine will change uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, 
And then uh, I was even a bit euphoric because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to enjoy a level of freedom I never had in my life. Because you know, when you start you start studying when you're very young, and then it's uh, uh, it's a snowball. Uh, yeah. So for the first time ever, I will have the freedom to wake up in the morning and do uh, what I want to do that day. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Control yeah. your own time. Yeah. Well, you said that um, you, when especially when you moved into the salon division in Wella, um, you felt like it was finally your place. You had that kind of epiphany moment. When you think about all the years you've dedicated to this industry, what makes you pr most proud of being a part of it? I would say, first of all, the relationships I built. Uh, there, um, you know, uh, this is an industry where you 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 can have the ch you have the chance to spend time with a lot of very generous people, hard workers mm -hmm. willing to learn. Not everyone, of course. We would like everyone to be like that. That this is the mission for, for at least it has been the mission for me, to yeah. uh, to try to convince people not to work harder because they all work hard, but to try to learn and to grow. And part of this generosity is the uh, being open to to spend time with you. You know, I learned about this industry spending dinners and nights uh, talking about problems and solutions. Uh, I had the, 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 the you know, I, I like to teach. Mm -hmm. So I, I created some courses for hairdressers especially, and uh, so it w which was a great opportunity really to go in depth in knowing them, and and through all these uh, you know I built uh, great relationships and which made me richer. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know that I can count on some uh, say friends. Friends is a big big word of course, but people that I uh, I like and, and possibly they like me, uh, I count on them everywhere in the world. So if you need a hairdresser, yeah. ask me and I can tell you <laughs> where to go almost everywhere. Hello, I'm going to Italy next week. Or where can I get my hair done? Is it true? <laughs> no, I no, wish. Ah, okay. it's, my, it's the next country on my list to visit, oh, okay. honestly. Yeah. Then uh, I have one for each, uh, for each town. Just give, tell me where you go and in each, each place I will find the right one. <laughs> Amazing. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Well, Paolo, true, like over the last 12 months, kind of with COVID and everything like that, we've seen a real shake up in the industry. We've seen the salon change drastically for the better. Um, a lot of it, I think, is for the better to kind of to move online and stuff like that. But from your tenure through Wella, Davina's, and possibly even through working with the underwear company, um, what challenges have you seen the salon industry face kind of? over those last 30 years of your career? What other challenges have you identified? Uh, the biggest, biggest one uh, has been and still is, uh, you know, the finding the right, uh, the right employees, mm. the, the right staff. You know, being a hairdresser is not that popular in many countries for strange reasons, because, uh, you know, I think that if you uh, do a survey about uh, the level of happiness of people doing this work is higher than for people doing many other things, True. Uh, but it's you know from the social point of view, sometimes this is a job which has not been uh, uh, acknowledged. Uh, the same for beauticians, and so for many young people, they don't consider this as an opportunity for for them. Mm -hmm. So on one side, it is difficult to find people. Then the the school system in many countries is very weak, mm -hmm. and a lot of people they start and then they stop and. Uh, and uh, and then you know the, the regulations too uh, sometimes don't help uh, in many countries. 
so at, at the end, finding the right stuff and growing it uh, is uh, the biggest challenge. It has always been like that. And this is a, I mean, this is a, a job you do with your hands. And so at the end of the day, uh, uh, you have to have the right people around you. So I think that the system around the industry doesn't help. Then the industry itself has sometimes uh, 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 some fault too, uh, because uh, um, perhaps there is not the right level of uh, of uh, support for the young people for growing in their career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is more true in some countries, but generally still uh, uh, many young people, they even if they finish the school then they go to a salon and then after some time they make the decision to do something else uh, which is probably because uh, uh, they don't find what they were looking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so labor has been for for sure the, the most important challenge the other one is that uh, again in most of the countries progressively there has been a decrease of frequency in salons both beauty and the hair mm-hmm. uh, which can be dangerous of course uh, because um, you know, if the if people go, instead of going eight times a year, they go seven times a year, there's a big loss for the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've seen, and we've seen the number diminish a lot during, especially during COVID, of course, and hoping, hoping that it like picks up a little bit again. But yeah, it is, it is quite scary when you look at the numbers. Yeah. But it's, it's a long-term trend. Of course, COVID uh, boosted, uh, accelerated the trend. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it will be interesting to see after COVID, if people will go back to the habits they had before, mm-hmm. or if they consolidate the new habit, which could be very dangerous. But as a consequence, uh, we, be, be in the industry, have to react and find the uh, solutions to um, motivate people to come more frequently. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest problem for that? Like, is it that people are just self-serving at home? They're deciding to take spend less time taking care of themselves. Have you do you have any like hypothesis around why people are returning less and less? I think time is an issue because mm. uh, you know we um, you know again I don't have precise data for every country in the world, but in some countries uh, the decrease of frequency has been higher in the big towns in the big metropolitan areas than in the countryside, which. I mean, then uh, time and convenience, uh, yeah. of course, yeah. uh, could get uh, together. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's a matter of uh, of money, because the, the the average spent uh, uh, in many countries is growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least it was growing before the COVID. Now uh, we will see after <laughs> uh, before it was growing. Yeah. And, and then I have to say that I, I think that uh, we, together with the salon owners, uh, all the members of the industry have to find solutions to uh, create uh, excitement about the idea to go to the hairdresser or to a beauty salon. Mm-hmm. This uh, feeling is what at the end motivates people to say, OK, I go now instead of waiting for another couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's such a nice time as well. So it's something that we like, there's a lot of emotions associated to going to a salon, getting a treatment, whether that's, you know, a a beauty treatment or haircut. There's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of like feel good feelings associated to that. So I feel like there's a lot of things that, especially with your background in marketing, I'm sure you know this, but you can tap into those emotions and make that message resonate and, and, you know, get those people excited essentially to come back in. Something I'm saying, uh, well, I've been saying it for, uh, for years uh, is that the, the mission uh, we have, uh, um, you know, I, I think that between, um, uh, I'm talking, uh, you know, still a little bit of as a manufacturer, but let's say uh, as, as a player in the industry, I think that the mission of all the players in the industry is to make sure that clients, uh, at the end of their visit in the salon, uh, they the, the think what they think is, I want to go back as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So they get out, and what they should think is, I can't wait. I want to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, which requires a great service. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something that you know I experimented. I think that one of the things I did in the industry has been to introduce for the first time. It was in the 90s the concept of the customer's journey. Um, I remember I, I created a concept. The name was Hairdressers of the Future. Uh, it was about uh, introducing the, um, the total quality management practices in the industry. And within that, uh, we developed the idea of the customer's journey, uh, trying to make sure that each of the moments of this journey was extremely rewarding. So that at the end, uh, they say, okay, I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, as salons start to reopen, people are going to hopefully switch that mindset because after either three months of not taking care of themselves or three months of having their partners take care of themselves, <laughs> they're going to be dying to get back into the salon. So hopefully that short-term fix will kind of change that behavior and make people realize, oh, actually the salon is a really great place to be. It's a great experience and kind of want to start going. Almost like something that they took for granted before. Hmm. Hopefully that switches. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. And on the other hand, on the other hand uh, this could be an opportunity for the salon owners to rethink about the way they service their clients yeah. and True. perhaps uh, dissect a little bit the experience that their clients live in the salon and make sure that in each step of this experience, uh, they create value for the clients. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, including when the clients are at home. Something else which I always said to my friends in the industry is uh, make sure that when your clients go home and look at themselves in the mirror every morning, they will thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just want to bring it back to, uh, I suppose, not the challenges, but it's, it's, it's I suppose, complementary to that, that question. Um, so as challenges, you, you highlighted this, the recruitment, which um, we, we still hear about all the time. Um, yes. And I wanted to, to see um, with you essentially like at the at the moment, there's there's being a lot of the processes in the salons being rethought uh, just as a whole because of COVID with everything moving online. Salons have had to really rethink how they do and go about things. Um, there's also, you know, parts of that that include um, the gender neutrality uh, conversations, the eco conversations. So a lot of processes are being rethought as a whole industry wide. And so I was wondering, um, has, do you recall a, a time in, in your career where the industry, f- like we were looking at the industry uh, from, from a standpoint where, okay, well, we're challenging the status quo on everything right now. And this is, you know, something has to change about it all. Um, do you recall a moment like that? Because it feels like this moment right now, but I'm sure it's happened before as well. Frankly, I don't. Despite of my, <laughs> of 
my long experience in the industry, uh, no, I think that uh, well, of course, something like this never happened. Of, and uh, yeah. and this type of uh, phenomena uh, requires some uh, uh, rethinking, of course. There have been uh, uh, events, uh, you know, like uh, years ago, the the start of uh, of chains uh, or yeah. uh, franchisings mm-hmm. or clubs. Uh, they are there, but you know, none of these uh, big phenomena change the fact that. Uh, there are still a lot of individual salons mm-hmm. uh, with their independence, with their identity. Uh, so in this respect, I think that the industry has been resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not because I don't like chains or I don't like these types of uh, of groups. Uh, still, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I've always been fascinated by the uniqueness of uh, perhaps a small salon in the, in the countryside <laughs> with, with such a personality yeah. where you really, really feel the, the personality of the owner. I like much more the, this, this type of salons. But back to your question, no, I think this is a unique uh, period of time. Uh, then, uh, you know, f- uh, f- what will be the outcome? Who knows? Because uh, a, a bit it's, uh, first of all, the industry needs to recover. Yeah. Uh, and what, how many will be there in uh, six months, uh, we'll see. Because uh, the difficulties are there. And uh, and especially if you don't have, uh, let's say, the unique selling proposition or the unique value proposition, uh, the risk is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, uh, I, th- I think that you know now everyone wants to go back to the the salons, uh, obviously, but I think that people will be more selective. Clients will be more selective. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there is not, uh, um, yeah, again, if you don't have the unique value you offer, the risk is that um, your clients will go elsewhere. So it's kind of coming back to your last answer where it's almost like a lesson learned from the last 12 months is to really identify who your ideal clients are and focus on that customer experience. like Building trust. Uh, building trust, identifying what does that journey look like for someone that comes through my doors and how do I improve it? How do I stop the trend going from eight visits to seven visits to six to going from eight, nine, ten, switch that funnel? Mm. Yeah, that is, that's actually really interesting. I think salon owners, they, they need to know what they stand for, what their salon stands for. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else that I did in the past was to create uh, a course about how to trans- trans- create a brand for a salon, how to be a brand, uh, which doesn't mean to, uh, to have a logo. It means to have values associated to what you do. And, and this is something else that I think is very important for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, uh, uniqueness and identity and uh, independence doesn't mean that you are good. Yeah. <laughs> it means yeah. that you do uh, what you what you have in mind about what is right and what is not. Uh, to be sure that you do what is right, uh, you need, uh, I mean, uh, some rethinking. Yeah, and what's interesting with brand as well is that you know, and I thought it was interesting when you said it's not just a logo. You know, it's, there's this whole set of values because it's so true. But it's also something that's not static, and it's something that you continually build on, and you continually communicate with your team, and have to keep communicating that with your team so that it can feel like a brand to the clients. Then on the other end, yes, a good brands are always evolving. They never stay still. Who in your eyes are some brands that you yourself actually really admire? Brands that you think the industry should almost look up to for inspiration? 
Oh, that's a, uh, a question. I didn't know, but you, know, you mean brands outside of the industry? Any brands, like who, if we were to look at like Apple, who would be some brands that you think are inspirational for even the independent salon owner to look up to? Mm-hmm. For independent salons, let me think a while. First of all, for the industry. You know, I think that in the industry, sharing knowledge is uh, crucial, is very important. And um, as I told you before the recording, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm part of the TED community. Mm. And I think that the TED is a great concept and a great brand yeah. because it's all about sharing, yeah. sharing ideas with the value. And uh, you know, something like a TED for the industry w- would be uh, great. While still there are, you know, and you know, every manufacturer they have their own things, and uh, it's a pity that we don't have a unique source of knowledge where everyone can have access. And uh, and this is uh, according to me the time where. Uh, knowledge has to be for free. It's strange that I'm saying that, but uh, for the for the wealth of the industry, uh, everyone should share as much as possible knowledge in a free way. Then you know. Then I can tell you. If I, I drive a Tesla, and uh, I, I like this brand because it's a good combination of uh, design, technology, and sustainability, which I think is important for the industry as well as, as key values. Do you like Elon Musk too, or just Tesla? Tesla. <laughs> Tesla. Now we have a different lifestyle. Uh, I'm a bit low profile. That's fair enough. That TED one is an excellent example because, like that, when you're picking the salon that you want to go to, you want to know that you're going to the best and you want to see the best demonstrated online. So, like, pr- portray your professionalism do your product education, really kind of push your products to clients, tell them this is what you need to be doing to keep that fantastic look, to stay feeling fabulous long after you leave the salon. So yeah, I think that TED one is actually a perfect example. I'd never really think of TED, yeah. So um, just out of curiosity, you've spent obviously quite a long time in Wella and then quite a substantial time in Daveness. Um, how, how do you know when to close a chapter in your career and then move on to something new? Now, obviously, we've just, like I said, at the start of the show, welcomed you to a force board. Um, but I, yeah, like, how do you know when's the right time to do that, especially after such a long time in different companies? I can tell you how how I got to know, uh, as it didn't happen many times, because yeah. in my career I worked for four companies, and for two of them just one year and a half. Uh, you know, these type of things, it happened to me, uh, you know, progressively and then suddenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, things happen in small steps, and then all of a sudden you understand that uh, something happened in your mind, and you have to to go for that. Uh, you know, at, at the end, you know, I, I spent uh, 25 years as a general manager and a CEO, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I thought that spending another five years or another seven years would have not changed much in my life. Uh, it would have not changed uh, my uh, the outcome of my life. And uh, there are other things uh, I like a lot. Uh, uh, you know, I will spend. Uh, you know, I, I stop with the any time type of full time job. Uh, my idea is to spend the, the most of my time in not non profit activities. I, I felt it was, you know, it's uh, easy to say it's time to give back, but that's the reality. I think it's time for me to give back. 
Uh, and this was uh, stronger than uh, than going on doing something I was passionate about. I tell you a short story if we have time. Absolutely, uh, I love a story. You know, it happens in steps, and one of the steps has been uh, a, a workshop I joined. Uh, I think it was yeah two years ago, summer 2019, during the the TED summit, by the way, in Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. And on top of the talks in these events, there are workshops with some of the speakers or some, let's say, experts. And they joined one workshop. The title was "Living and Dying Happily." The guy, the teacher, was uh, is a Japanese uh, guru, physique the role uh, very well. I mean, uh, you look at him and you want to listen whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and he was uh, helping us, uh, helping the, the participants to. Well, he did a couple of exercises. One of them was really to do a sort of a simulation of the the moments before your death. Uh, apparently scary. It was not at all. It was, it was so kind, and uh, and the other the other um, uh, exercise he did was to give us a strip of paper, and then uh, it was uh, one meter more or less, and he said, "Okay, this is uh, your life. Uh, it's up to you to decide whether it is uh, 80 years or 120 years or 100, whatever." Now you decide what is the uh, span of your life, and then you start. You cut this strip according to the, the part of your life that you have already spent. I'm closer to I'm 58 eight now, so you see, uh, I was thinking about something like 85, and I had to cut a big piece of this uh, strip. And then he said, "Okay, now how many hours a day you sleep?" And okay, six hours, seven hours. Then cut again according to the amount of time you spent sleeping. So it was another third, more or less. And at the end, the strip was very, very short. And then he said, "Okay, now write on one line all the things you want to do before you die." And they wrote a few things there, and none of them uh, had, had anything to do with my work. Hmm. Uh, and so, okay, this was one of the moments where I said, okay, perhaps yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's time to <laughs> to think about doing something else. We're both in shock a- here. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of like, I, I'm like, I kind of want to do the exercise now. <laughs> I might do that after the recording. <laughs> yeah, if you want to do the exercise, yeah. <laughs> It's funny because just as you're saying it, where you cut off the years, you cut off the hours, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, like, yeah, you really need to kind of force yourself to think maybe it's not all about career, not all about kind of working, which is like roughly, well, I'm going to say nine hours, but I know a lot of people listening to this will laugh when I say nine hours. But yeah, you're just so, yeah, exactly. You're just so consumed by work that you just forget about everything else going on sometimes. And it's interesting when you think about all the thought starter questions we've asked this year to guests, anytime that um, it was like, what do you don't, what don't you have time to do and things like that? People would always go back to something personal, on the personal yeah. side. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. With that in mind, then, um, what, was it that actually drove you to Forest? Because you've gone from Wella, you've gone from Davines, and now you're going to a software company, a tech company, essentially. What's made you make that such a drastic shift? Well, first of all, it's a little bit of a different story because, uh, you know, I was in in Davines as well as a full-time job in early stages of career, let's say. Uh, well, I have, I have to say that, frankly, the key driver of my choice uh, to join Forrest have uh, been the conversations with Ronan. Uh, we had a few. Uh, 
and uh, could appreciate that uh, we, we are like-minded in the way we see the role of companies in the industry. You know, there are companies uh, sometimes in our industry uh, um, spoiling the industry, some others squeezing the industry. It, it has been refreshing for me to listen to someone who really wants to service the industry, mm. which has been my ethos as well. Yeah. And then there, are a few, uh, there have been a few things that uh, Ronan said that uh, touched me, mm -hmm. like you know the, the concept of doing it for them. And then at the same time, we, we uh, can do after attitude uh, with uh, a growth mindset uh, you know uh, uh, <laughs> I like pioneering pioneering I like challengers um, uh, I am not someone for being quiet in a corner <laughs> from the professional point of view uh, <laughs> yeah so it's uh, um, I think it was very much based on, on, on being on the same page uh, with Ronan it was not something I planned, it simply happened. Uh, and uh, there, there is something else, which is that, uh, as I shared a while ago, I have a marketing background. I, I tried to inject uh, good marketing practices in the industries. Uh, it is uh, sure that Forest is a tech company, but I think with a very unique marketing component. Uh, and, uh, and, and perhaps uh, this was another reason for me to be attracted by by forest. Well, I suppose as um, as a last question before we uh, flip that card for you this week, um, what do you hope to bring as a perspective, or what do you hope the future of the hair and beauty industry looks like? Um, like, what what would you hope for the industry really in the next, say, five years? Well, now regarding the industry, you know, the, the new generation of uh, salon owners uh, are more digital conscious, digitally conscious, and this will help to have a more digital industry that, according to me, will create more efficiency, better organization, better marketing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's not going to be enough because, of course, uh, you know, then the, the quality of of, uh, of the of the service will still make a difference, but it can be backed very. Uh, effectively by the right digital technologies. Uh, of course, my big hope for the industry is to become more and more sustainable. I spent probably the last uh, 15, 15 years of my career trying to uh, introduce to the industry the concept of uh, sustainability in, mm. in different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, on, on one side, this will become a must. So uh, I don't think it will be a choice. On the other hand, it's, I think it would be it would be great to activate everyone before it's it's going to be a must uh, by regulations. Yeah, and there is a lot that can be done here, and uh, it's still something that I consider as part of my of my mission. It would be great to see more people want to be sustainable as opposed to have to be because the government tells them. Yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well. Thank you so much for all those insights. Um, mm -hmm. Once again, a huge welcome to Forrest. Yep. Um, and for the Thought Starter <laughs> question of the week, um, just flip this now. What's the best career compliment you've ever received? And if you could describe the situation. The natural thought when you are running a business is coming from a place of desperation to like drive performance and drive business, right? But giving staff feedback is hard, isn't it? Well, the process of empowering teams to reach their goals and targets just got that much easier. Celebrate having a competitive edge with Forrest's new staff performance tool. Give your team access to key metrics like revenue and transactions for services, product retail and client booking. 
a new performance report is a form of way power that you're giving them and saying like, here's information in your hands. It's 24 seven access to their KPIs all from the Forest Go mobile app. Visit forest.com for more information. Uh, yeah, well, very easy because this is something, this is what makes me really happy. It is when a customer uh, comes to me and say, you changed my life. You as, as myself or you as a company. And, uh, and this is something great, again, in the industry, because it's not easy to do the same if you work in a supermarket. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the industry, manufacturers or companies can really change the, the, the life of people. And this is great. And uh, for me, it has been always the, the best moment in my life. Luckily enough, it happened several times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get the feeling you're going to hear it a lot more with Forest too, because we always get reviews sent in. Every time someone leaves a one star or if they leave a five star, it goes straight to our CEO, Ronan, and then we all see it. So it's just really rewarding to see those reviews come in. So listen, Paolo, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. And just to reiterate what Zoe said, it's going to be a pleasure to work with you. Thank you, Kilian. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you so much for your time today. A pleasure. Paolo Borguzzi and Ronan Percival both share a devotion to the beauty industry and passion for the planet. And uh, to read more about their comments on the appointment, you can check out the Forest blog, so forest.com forward slash blog. And for salons looking into uh, sustainability, being more eco-conscious, you can check out also our past interview on Forest FM with James Alba when we spoke about the benefits of going green, what sustainable practices you can integrate into your salon's business model as of today, and help you see how you can grow your business while being an industry leader and making a difference, giving back to the earth. One last thing before we sign off, don't forget to head over to force.com forward slash FM where you can find today's transcript and subscribe to the show's email newsletter. As always, if you want to share your thoughts on Forest FM or this episode specifically, send us an email at forestfm at forest.com or you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We've done some significant changes to the show in the past with your feedback, so please don't shy away from leaving us some. Otherwise, stay safe and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments. Forest FM, the Salon Owners Podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Get your clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.